And for the last couple of weeks, we've been spending a little bit of time, and we've had a theme for our Christmas series this year, and it is Joyful Christmas. Now, you know, that is a subject that we talk about a lot around Christmas time, and certainly rightfully so. Uh, hopefully, that's certainly our desire for, for all of us, right, this time and all the time, that we would have joy-filled lives, and uh, that this season, this time, that, that we have this spirit of Christmas and giving and joy and thoughtfulness and kindness would just be a regular part of our lives and not just seasonal for sure. Uh, the question that I'd like to address as we spend a little time studying the Bible this morning is, how can we know that we can experience true joy in our lives? So uh, before we jump into it, let me just pray and then we'll do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, uh, as always, we are so humbled and we are so grateful for all the blessings that you give to us so freely. We don't deserve it. Uh, in fact, we deserve just the opposite, but yet you love, you are love, and, and you've demonstrated that by sending your son, Jesus Christ. I pray now, Lord, for this next period of time that we would look into your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, I pray that we would just calm our hearts and our thoughts and of whatever other situations might be going on in our lives, and, and that we would just take this minute and dedicate it just to you. May your spirit speak through your word, to our hearts. And may we respond in a way that we can understand what it means to experience true joy in our lives today and forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, before we get started with the details of joy, uh, I, I do want to point out, and I think you probably understand this, that there is a difference between happiness and joy, right? There's a difference between those two things because happiness comes from your circumstances, uh, when your circumstances are favorable, then you're happy. Things go the way you want, you're happy. Uh, when things don't go the way you want, you're sad. And, and that's the way happiness works. I'm happy because things are going my way, right? Nothing wrong with that. We should be happy more than we're sad if that's possible, but it doesn't always work that way. Life is hard, right? So it doesn't always work that way. Joy, on the other hand, does not come from your circumstances. Joy comes from God. And that's what I want you to understand Joy comes from the Lord. It is possible to have unfavorable circumstances in your life and yet still experience true joy. And never has there been a better illustration of that, of course, than the Lord Jesus Christ, who in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 it says that we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him, look what he went through. He endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, you, you might argue that those are some of the very worst circumstances that anybody's ever gone through. But he did it all for the joy. He did it all for the joy. Because joy goes a lot deeper. Joy is associated with eternity, right? And so that's going to be our subject today. Joy is that peace that you have in your heart and in your soul. In fact, the term, the joy of the Lord, is synonymous with heaven and the eternal state. In Matthew 25, 21, it says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Notice, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And the scenario is the man who's standing at the judgment about to enter into the eternal state of bliss and joy from the presence of the Lord. And really, that's what it's all about. 
So it's a synonymous with heaven because we get to be in the presence of the Lord regularly. But you know as well as I do, we can be in the presence of the Lord right now. So joy is available to us even right now if we will walk with the Lord. And the entire Trinity is covered in the Scriptures. 1 John chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly notice our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, why? That your joy may be full. So if we have fellowship with God the Father, if we have fellowship with God the Son, it says that our joy can be full. It doesn't end just there. There's another place, Romans 14, verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom that we all participate in by faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. We're not talking about a physical kingdom made up of physical things. It's not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You walk with the Lord. You are in the presence of the Lord, and you can have joy. So much so that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, defines for us the fruit of the Spirit, and it defines it as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against those things, there's no law. Uh, there's no law of man that can hinder you from experiencing those things among which is the joy of of the Lord. And in fact, in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10, it tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's our strength. And just imagine when you're facing difficult circumstances, when you're going through the situations of life that may not make you happy, you can still have the joy as your strength because you walk with the Lord and your eternity is sure and God's presence is with you. That's our desire for you this Christmas and always, amen? And so what we're going to look at is what I'm going to call God's formula for experiencing this true joy. And the first point in your outline is joy always starts with Jesus, of course. Uh, every Sunday school kid, you know, if the teacher quizzes him, if he's not sure what the answer is, say Jesus, you're bound to get it right. <laughs> or the Bible, that's your second answer. Jesus, right. Okay, good. Joy always starts with Jesus, of course. The true Jesus, by the way, not some other Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11 talks about false Jesuses, counterfeit Jesuses. You know what people do today? There are times when people will fabricate in their mind their version of who they think Jesus is. But it's not the historical, biblical Jesus Christ, right? And so... Some people want to remember Jesus Christ forever and always like a baby in a manger. And so the Christmas season is typically around the birth of Jesus. So we see the manger scenes and the baby and Mother Mary and Joseph and the cattle and all the things. And, and okay, that's fine, but, you know, he didn't stay that way, right? Uh, some people's image of Jesus Christ is always nailed to a cross. But you know that that was just one moment, a very important moment. But just one, you know he's not nailed to that cross anymore, right? The way that Jesus Christ truly is today is in glory. And we can't have really a photo of that. But, you know, the idea of Jesus Christ is glorified. He died for our sins, yes. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, ever waiting to return to set up his kingdom here on earth. He is the eternal God. He is the creator, almighty, all-knowing, all-loving 
omnipotent of the universe. That's who he really is. That is the true Jesus. Joy always starts with Jesus, but you got to get the right one. you got to make sure that you get the right one. Because some of these other thoughts where, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't do this, Jesus wouldn't do that, and sometimes those thoughts just come from our own fabrications of what we wish he would do. Oh, Jesus' love, he would never judge anybody. Uh, the Bible Jesus does. But there's a way that we can understand how to have that judgment taken for us. We'll see that in a minute. Back in your notes, I put this, true joy comes when you surrender to his lordship. And that's what the Bible teaches us. If you want to have true joy, it's going to start with this formula. It starts with Jesus Christ, and it starts with you surrendering to the fact that he is who he said he is, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Romans chapter 5 starts this way. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Man, that's key. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. There it is in hope of the glory of God. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have peace with God, you access it by faith, and you can rejoice, you can have joy even now in the hope, the promise of what's coming. And that's glory with God. Going down to verse number 10 of that chapter, it says, For if, when we were enemies, we're sinners, we still have yet to receive Christ. Back then, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also, here it is, joy in God now, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So man, if that's a reality in your life, you can rejoice and joy in God even now. And the thing you need to understand and Maybe you're new to church. Maybe this is just a visit for you. Maybe you typically don't attend a church. And if that's the case, man, we're thrilled that you decided to come today. But maybe you don't already have a prior level of Bible knowledge to understand all this. You, you need to understand this. It doesn't work any other way. This is the only way it works. This is the formula. This is the way God lays it out. If Jesus Christ is not first, You could say, well, he's a very important part of my life. If he's not first, it just doesn't work. And that's what the real Jesus says. In Matthew 10, verse 37, he says this, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, if you love your family more than you love me, Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying if you don't love your children more than I love your children. No, he says more than you love me, see? How much do we love our parents? How much do we love our children? As much as we could probably imagine or put into words in this earthly life of relationships, amen? Jesus says even more so, you need to have me as your priority. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Notice this, verse 39. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake, he's the one that's going to find it. He's the one that's going to find it. So do you want to find the life that God has for you? That means you need to lose the one that you currently have. You need to lose it for his sake. That's step number one in the formula. 
You say, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Well, just hang on. We'll get there. Step number two, joy continues when you prefer others. Joy continues when you prefer others, right? So J stands for Jesus and O stands for others. And we saw last week that giving is truly the heart of Christmas, right? Tis the season to be jolly. La 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 la. La 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 la. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Actually, the word blessed very frequently is translated, the exact same word is translated throughout the scriptures as happy. Happy. You actually do receive a level of happiness when you give, don't you? You understand that at Christmas time. Listen, I get it. The little kids are all about getting. But they're little kids. We grow up and get out of that stage, and we realize, okay, I mean, it's, it's wonderful when somebody shows love and we receive something, but man, don't, you know, as that happiness maybe only lasts as long as the, the gift you received lasts, right? Maybe not even that long. But when you give a gift to somebody, you know how it is. Man, that joy, that happiness just continues because... You acted out of love. Actually, that's a very godly step, and that's why it works that way. It's interesting because Jesus taught this. Jesus told people it's more blessed to give than to receive because I think that it's our Jesus knew it's our nature to think, well, I kind of like receiving. (laughs) I kind of like getting stuff. And because it's natural for us to think that way, he had to say, oh, by the way, let me, let me help you understand something. It's actually more blessed that you give. And if by chance that doesn't sit well with you, uh, just consider why is it that we complain so much when people don't give us our due? Why is it that we get so twisted when we think we deserve better and somebody doesn't treat us the way we think we deserve? Doesn't that really boil down to the issue of You know, I'll be happier if I get what I want. It's in all of us. It's unavoidable. We can't help it, right? It's just a part of our nature, and the Lord knows that. And that's why he had to teach us, hey, listen, we need to get past ourselves. It's it's who we are in our nature and realize that we can actually receive more when we give. So Christmas time, you know, it's all about gifts. Um, I did bring a small little gift so it would fit in my pocket and this little gift is a wrapped present and you know at Christmas time you get your presents around the tree and they're sitting out there and if you have little kids it's so much fun you get up Christmas morning or maybe you do it this evening in your home and man you unwrap the presents and everybody gets excited and you want to you know see what everybody got and but man you you receive what you receive how many of you have ever maybe I shouldn't have you raise your hands (laughs) You're with your kids, and, you know, you, you, you work, and you sacrifice, and you buy them all the stuff they want, and, and you have this monstrous pile of presents waiting, and the kid rips into one, and he's so excited, he barely looks at it for a second. He chunks it aside to rip into the next one. Been there? And, and just for a split second, does it make you wonder, why, why, did, I, why did I do that? Why, why, did, I, why did I do that? He kind of... I mean, he'll get back to it. I mean, he'll get back to it, right? But he's so excited about opening the gift that he has, man, he can't even hardly keep his mind on the one that he just got. 
That's because sometimes the happiness that goes with receiving, you know, it just lasts a little while. Then you're on to the next thing, right? But really, if you want to experience this joy in your life as a continual state of life all the time, well then, you're going to do that by the next thing I put in your notes, that true joy comes, or I might say continues, when you follow his example. You have to follow his example because that's the way Jesus lived and that's the way he laid the example out for all of us. Philippians chapter 2. I love Philippians chapter 2, y'all. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, don't fight, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing, nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, here it comes, let each esteem other better than themselves. And verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Just imagine a world where everybody did this. See, you're going to leave here and you're going to say amen and you're going to think that would be cool, but you know what, Pastor? World just don't work that way. I'll give and they'll take. And they'll keep taking. And if I don't look out for me a little bit, we'll starve. And, and by the way, I don't blame you for thinking that way because our world's broken, isn't it? People are broken. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. But can you imagine what if? I mean, John Lennon imagined his things. Let's imagine some Bible things, right? What if... The world really was made where everybody worried about you and you didn't worry about you at all. You worried about everybody else. And rather than your life being this journey to climb to the top of the heap, maybe stepping on other people to get there, your life then becomes burrowing to the bottom of the heap to lift everybody else up while, by the way, they're fighting to get under you to lift you up. See, this is the life Jesus describes. This is the life of true joy. Fulfill ye my joy by living your life this way. Man, that's when we prefer others. I mean, he should know. I mean, let's keep reading Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which, by the way, was also in Christ Jesus. Now let's hear about his journey, right? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, but yet nevertheless, right, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That's Christmas. And being found in fashion as a man, here it is, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because he did that, because he was willing to put himself last, because he was willing to sacrifice, because he was willing to prefer us, and he did that to the ultimate extreme of the cross. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
You see, Jesus Christ willingly surrendered his rights, his benefit, his preferences, maybe, selfishly speaking, if we could say, for us. That worked out pretty good, didn't it? That worked out pretty good for y'all. Worked out pretty good for me. Absolutely. You know what else it did? It pleased the Father. Because the Father, as a result, was so pleased, it says he highly exalted him. What if we lived our life like that? Humbling ourselves, making ourselves of no reputation, and exalting and helping others. You think that same Heavenly Father wouldn't similarly be pleased with you? And when the eternal state comes around, highly exalt you? I think he would. But you've got to get the things in the right order. It's Jesus first. It's others second. And number three, joy. Joy dies when you prioritize yourself. You prioritize yourself, you messed up the formula. You're not going to get the right answer. Why is it? I mean, just watch television. Everybody's fighting for their rights and what they think is best, what they want, what they want to receive, and how they want to receive it. And they're miserable. They're miserable. They're blowing the formula, and they're not getting the results. Of course. we got to go to the source of life, the book of life, from the author of life. I mean, why don't we just consider trying it God's way, right? Um, I have a photo I want to show you. Here's my photo. Do you see me in there? So Pastor Matt and I got a chance to go preach a conference in Albania back in October, and this was the group photo of everybody that attended that conference in Albania. And uh, when I saw this group photo, of course, it's near and dear to my heart. I love these people. And, and you know what I did? I did the same thing you would do if you were in that crowd. I found me. <laughs> All right, let's try it again. Let's get a little closer. Do you see me now? Man, I do. I, how, about, how about Matt? Can you see Matt? <laughs> All right, let's try it again. There he is. All right. All right, so isn't that, listen, how many of you have been at a parade downtown and the newspaper takes a photo and, you know, just half of your nose and your right arm are in the corner and you're like, that was me, that was me. (laughs) We think of us first all the time. We can't help it. But when you do that, get that photo off there. Get something. (laughs) When you do that, man, It doesn't work, does it? All right, so Matthew 19, 19. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, This little phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is repeated so frequently in all of Scripture. It's like God repeats it and repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. It's like you only read, you know, 10 or 20 chapters, it pops up again. And he repeats, why do you suppose that is? Because the Lord knows that the loving yourself part comes so natural that you've got to re- be reminded not to do that. You've got to be reminded to love others the same way you love you. I wasn't in a hurry to go find everybody's face in that photo. I wanted to find mine. I want to make sure that it was, wasn't blocked by a tree or somebody else. I want to see it. You know, even in our marriage relationships, it's, it's, it's a reminder for us guys, right? Ephesians 5, 28. 
so ought men to love their wives, how? As their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Listen, Jesus knew our problems. He knew that we need to understand that. So the formula goes J for Jesus, O for others. Lastly, Y is you. You are last. Oh, by the way, don't misunderstand me. You count. Of course you count. You're very important. You're just not as important as Jesus, and you're not as important as others. And if you want to experience joy in your life, you've got to keep them in order, right? I mean, Jesus wasn't afraid to let us know. It's okay, right? John 16, 24. He says, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive. You need to ask for stuff? Go ahead. It's okay. Why would you do that? That your joy may be full. We're not just totally ignoring ourselves. We just have to keep the order. We have to have the priority, right? So without question, to get the greatest personal benefit of life, right, we have to follow the order. And so when we read the Bible, though, we do find those kind of statements that seem to put things in a different light. They seem to skew things a little bit differently. In fact, I put it this way in your notes, true joy comes when you apply these paradoxes of life. These paradoxes of life. So in Matthew 20 and verse 16, it talks about how the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. Hmm. I thought the first would be first. <laughs> and the last would be last. I mean, why am I running this race anyway? Well, Jesus does it different. Uh, Matthew 10, 39, we saw previously, if you lose your life, then you'll find it. Oh, and if you seek to find your life, isn't that what people want to do today? Hey, man, you need to go to this retreat, and you're just going to be able to find yourself. Uh, you know, you, you might not like what you find. <laughs> Lose your life, and then you'll find it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 10, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, you know when I'm really strong is when I'm weak. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know what people are working their lives, their entire work careers, you know what everybody's working to do in their lives, generally speaking? People are working to be first. They're working to find themselves. They're working to be strong. And frequently they're miserable. It seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? But that's how God works, y'all. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you can hear and see the Word of God and how it lays out the fact that God's wisdom is different from man's wisdom. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says it very clearly, starting in verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, in other words, the world according to its own wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It goes on and it says, The Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews the stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Basically, what is he trying to say? What he's basically trying to say is this. Some people are looking for their answers in miracles. 
They're looking for the supernatural. They're looking for the grand. They're looking for the big stage play. They're looking for something that's just going to be overwhelmingly circumstantially in their favor. They're looking for signs and wonders and miracles. And then there's others who just feel like, I need to comprehend and understand every little thing all along the way. If I don't understand it, it's not true. There are those who are in that category. So there's some that are looking for the miraculous. There are others who are looking for complete wisdom and understanding. And he says, yeah, but Christians don't do that. Christians just need faith. We take God's word the way that he laid it out, and we accept it. We believe and understand that his word is the way things really work. We understand that it's actually in our best interests to surrender to it. We understand that we can actually make decisions in our life, maybe not based on physical evidence, but on the faith of the truth of the word of God. And it affects us. It changes us. We become different. Well, let's keep reading 1 Corinthians 1. Go on to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised, Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are? Why would he do that? That seems weird. That he made life, he made us the way we are, and yet he set the whole thing backwards. Why would he do that? Well, he tells you that no flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh should glory in his presence. You say, he made us, yeah, but he didn't make us broken. We did that ourselves. This was never the original plan for us to think about ourselves first all the time. He alone is the one who has to get the glory. He's the one who has to be the full provider. We couldn't possibly do it ourselves if we wanted to. These are the rules. This is how it works. And the sooner you know them and make your adjustments, the better off it is for you. So first, what do you do? You lay down your life for Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says this, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. First and foremost, you lay down your life willingly, and you live your life no longer for yourself, you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, always the first step. And then you lay down your life for others. We saw loving your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John three sixteen, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we get this thing prioritized where we live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how is that actually going to play out? in day-to-day -day life. It's going to play out in day-to-day -day life because we're going to actually lay down our lives and our priorities for others around us. That's the way it's going to work. And then you come last. 
And so Paul said it this way. I, I actually had to think about this one. I didn't love it when I first started reading it. And the more it kind of soaks in, it kind of gets to your soul. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, where he says, I die daily. You know, it's not in your notes, but in Romans 12, it talks about how we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. And the typology and picture that comes from the Old Testament sacrifices where animals were killed on an altar and all that sort of thing, and the Lord doesn't require that anymore, and Jesus Christ, it's all fulfilled, and yet he asks us to lay down our lives. But the thing about this living sacrifice thing is that you may decide to die to your personal desires today, right now, and you may do very well. But you know what's going to happen tomorrow? (laughs) He's going to want to crawl out of that grave, isn't he? I mean, you constantly are fighting yourself. You do well today, you do well tomorrow, but boy, that third day, I mean, who knows, right? It's constantly wanting to come back to life. That will to live is strong. And so Paul says, look, the way that I'm going to rejoice, you see the rejoicing, the joy part is in this verse. You have to die to yourself. So you come last, and you get more joy. That's how God does it. So this is Christmas Eve, and... This is the time, right? So Christmas is the celebration of Jesus Christ coming to earth. And so I want you to understand, if you do not already understand, why he came. And the Bible makes it very clear. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to have conjecture. You don't have to say, like the Sunday school kid, Jesus, Bible. (laughs) I mean, you can know exactly why Jesus Christ came because he tells us exactly why he came with no equivocation. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. For this purpose, see how easy that is? The Son of God was manifested. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came because mankind had a problem. They had fallen into sin, and the devil had operated in the system of this world such that all men have a problem. And Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. What exactly are the works of the devil? Well, I have it for you in 2 Corinthians 4. Verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the small g, notice, God of this world. That would be referring to the devil. In whom the God of this world, what does he do? Hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel of Christ through the word of God is the glorious light that will enlighten your understanding and give you the understanding to know what he did and how you can have eternal life. And what is the devil's job? The devil's job is to blind you so that you can't see it. The light is shining all around and people all around us every single day are walking through this world with blinders on. That's what they're doing. That's the work of the devil. Jesus Christ came to destroy that work. You might want to say it in a different way as the way it's phrased in Luke 19:10. For the son of man has come, why? To seek and to save that which was lost. You say, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm at. Well, some people in this room today may not, I don't know. Maybe you're here and truly if I were to ask you, let's just say Let's just say that, God forbid, your physical life ended today and you stood before the Lord and, and, and let's just say it worked this way. I'm not sure that it works this way, but let's just say it worked this way for the conversation. That you were to stand before the Lord and, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in to my heaven? 
Don't, don't turn and ask your neighbor. <laughs> just, before, just in your heart right now, what might your answer be if that happened? Uh, l- let's say you're standing before the Lord, and for illustration's sake, you're standing on a great big trap door. <laughs> and the Lord's got his hand on this great big lever. And you've got one shot to get the, the answer right. Otherwise, ching voom, and down you go. <laughs> okay, that's a weird illustration. But that is the idea. If you today are not sure of what the right answer is, man, this is your lucky day. Because God gives us the answer, and I want you to understand it. Listen, if by chance you're a little confused about that, by the way, don't, don't be disappointed. It's okay. I mean, his very disciples were a little confused about it. It happens. He, Jesus with his disciples in John chapter 14. Check this story out. Jesus says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So what's the context? He's like, look, don't, don't get frustrated. Don't worry. I get it that you're theists. You believe in God. But that's not quite enough. You have to actually believe in me. I'm going to go and take care of this eternal dwelling. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And he goes on, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Notice this. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. So you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. And Thomas, right, one of the 12, he's like, um, <laughs> I'm not sure I know the way. Uh, Lord, we, don't, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Aren't you thankful for guys in the narrative that ask the questions y- you would ask? <laughs> <laughs> They put those guys in movies for people like me. I'm like, what just happened? And then there's a guy who's like, what just happened? And then they sell you. And I'm like, man, I'm glad that guy's in the movie. So Jesus answers in verse 6. It's famous, really. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice this. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Kind of arrogant, huh? The only way? You go your way, I'll go my way, as long as you live a clean life. I mean, you'd be all right. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what the real Jesus said. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. That's why you can't just believe in God. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did. So Christmas celebrates Jesus Christ coming to earth to destroy the devil's grip on man and to save lost man eternally and to provide this way to heaven you couldn't possibly get there on your own merit you couldn't possibly god won't allow it so the story is really very simple and if you haven't been familiar with it hopefully you'll understand it by the time i'm done in the next few minutes we'll be done in romans chapter 3 and verse 23 the bible very clearly says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god all includes me It includes you and includes the most moral person you've ever met. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 goes on then 
and tells us that the wages of sin is death. So as a result, a wage is what you earn as a result of what you've done. You go to work, and at the end of two weeks or 15 days or a month or whatever your pay period is, you receive your wages. You don't have to beg for them. You have earned them. They belong to you rightly. What have we done? We have all sinned. And the thing that we have earned as a result of our sin is death. It's death. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll get back to that in just a second. But when the Bible talks about death, Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8 is a sobering verse. Well, Revelation 21, 8 tells us that there's not just the physical death that we all understand. I mean, all of you in this room are old enough to know that life has a cycle. You're born, you grow up, you live X number of years, and at some point this physical life ends. Everybody knows the physical death part. But the Bible speaks of a second death, which is actually a spiritual death, and it's defined as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. In other places in the Bible, we would call that hell. So if the story were to stop and we're just piecing together how God views life, right, that all men have sinned and the thing that we have earned for our sin is death, and when he's talking about death, it's not just physical death, but spiritual death or separation from God in a literal burning place of torments called hell. That is the second death. And if the story stopped right here, this would be terrible news. It would be the worst Christmas ever. Because everybody is on this path that's going the wrong way, right? Well, it is a fact. You know this. You're in church, right? Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. That's an absolute fact. But just because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world, I think you understand does not mean that the entire world automatically gets to go to heaven, right? I think we understand that, right? Revelation 21.8 obviously says that there's going to be some people who don't make it. So there's got to be a way to differentiate. There's got to be a way to say who's in and who's not in, right? You don't have to go there. Romans 5 and verse number 8, we start to turn the, turn the tide now where it says that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, this is the condition we're stuck in, Jesus Christ died for us. So the wages of sin is death, but he's going to insert his death in place of our death. This is his demonstration of love for us. He loved us so that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were on the opposite side of righteousness, he preferred us and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so you're like, wow, that's great that he did that. So what do I have to do? How do we get in on this? Well, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, very, very clear. It says, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, right? He who has the Son has the life, and he who has not the Son of God has not the life. And so notice that he says, this is the record. God has given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So this little gift that I brought, this little wrapped gift, let's just say that whatever the gift is on the inside represents eternal life. And let's just say the wrapping paper is the Lord Jesus Christ. You got it? The eternal life is on the inside. It's wrapped in the Lord Jesus Christ. He who has the Son 
has what's inside too, eternal life. And if you don't have the Son, well, you don't get the goods on the inside either. That's the way it is. Uh, it's interesting because back in Romans 6.23, we saw that, right, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the way it works. God is as if he is standing on the balcony of heaven and saying, look, I have provided the gift, and it is the greatest gift anyone could ever imagine. It is the gift of eternal life. But it only comes in one kind of wrapping paper. It doesn't come in all the religions of the world and all the colors and all the philosophies. It's not according to your wisdom and your understanding. It's not according to your miraculous experiences that you think you may have had or may have had. It's according to one thing and one thing only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ is the sole possessor of eternal life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. I paid for the gift. You don't have to. I died the death. You don't have to. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he stands and it's, he literally extends his hand and he says, this is my gift. Do you want it? And you know, it's amazing to me to think that people today can understand that story and yet walk away and say, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for church service. I'm okay. The Lord made this so clear. Kathleen, you want eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord? How about you? You want eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord? Listen, this is the way it works. This is how he put it together. You say, okay, but he, okay, it, if you have the Son, 35 years ago I made this decision for myself, a uh, 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 a young man at that time, he was young, he's old now, <laughs> like me. He said this to me, and he said, hey, you want to have Jesus? I was like, sure. How do I do that? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> I honestly had no Christian background. I didn't grow up in church. I did not know what it meant. How do you do that? You may be wondering. I want to help you. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. But as many as received him, I offer this gift to Kathleen. She received the gift. It's now hers. I'm not taking it back. As many as received the Lord Jesus Christ, right? To them he gave the power to become sons of God, even those that believe on his name. So you receive the gift that God extends to you by faith. It's very simple. It's by faith. So how exactly does that work? Well, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, and I'm inviting him to be the Lord of my life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart, and you truly mean it, you believe it in with all your heart, that he died for our sins and God rose him from the dead, right? You'll be saved. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And anybody who's never done this yet in their life is still lost, head in the wrong direction. But God provided this so you didn't have to be. You can receive him today by faith. In fact, a couple verses down in Romans 10 and verse 13 says, whosoever, you know, you could write your name in there. You know, 35 years ago, I wrote my name in there. If Jeff will call upon the name of the Lord in faith, agreeing with him, 
about who we are as sinners and what he did to solve it, you shall, not maybe, not hope so, you shall be saved on the authority of God's word by faith in what he said. You can 100% know that if you were standing before the Lord on the trap door with his hand on the lever, why should I let you in? And you would say, not because of anything I did, but I received Jesus Christ and his atonement for the payment of my sins. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And what I want to do for you as we close now is just offer you the opportunity to make that decision if you have not yet done so. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray with you.